This is Short-Term Rental Management, the show that is all about short-term rental property management with your host, yours truly, Luke Carl. Short-Term Rental Management, it is a great day to be here with you, and I love it, and thank you for hanging on uh, on the greatest podcast ever, and I uh, appreciate you for being here, and uh, we have a fantastic guest today. It's a gentleman I've known for quite some time. Um, uh, he, he needs no introduction. I'm actually, uh, hold on, I'm not even going to introduce him yet, but I'm telling you, it's going to be fantastic. Dave Foster, the godfather of 1031 Exchange, is here to hang with me, uh, and we will... We will come back and talk to him after a word from this week's sponsor. Join me live every Thursday for a weekly Q&A all about short-term rental. If you like my vibe, if you're digging the long hair extraordinaire, Cashflow Carl, and want to ask me questions in real time, join me at strquestions.com. It's a lot of fun. strquestions.com. All right, all right. Here we go. It is. Uh, I'm super grateful, super grateful that uh, that you're here, that Dave is here, that everybody's here hanging with us on short-term rental management. And I have to say, all right, here's my deal. Uh, when I first started in real estate, and and uh, and really throughout my entire journey, uh, there are, I, I just to be brutally honest, very few people that. I felt warm and fuzzies from every time that their name came up or every time that there was a conversation with, um, there are, you know, there's some grumpy people in the business and, and Mr. Dave Foster, every time I've needed something, not only, not only did I get the right answer, uh, just like absolutely no question that it was the exact perfect answer um, not only the answer that I was looking for, and I'm telling you, this, this uh, introduction is going to keep going. So just hold your breath. Uh, it was the perfect answer, but just so, so this was with empathy and kindness and a shoulder uh, and an ear that understood what I was going through and what I needed at that moment. Uh, I just, I just want to thank you, Dave, for, for really, you know, being kind of integral in the, in my real estate investing career because you were so kind to me every single time I reached out. So without further ado, the, the guy that uh, put 1031 Exchange on the map when it comes to uh, real estate investing, uh, Dave Foster, great to have you here. Wow. Okay. Like, have I turned five shades of red here? That's a very <laughs> kind word. Dude, do you realize the first time we talked was like eight years ago? No, uh, do you, it's been eight years. See, that's another thing. You've got a do memory. You do you remember the topic? I, I don't. I would You'll assume it was. I w what was it? Well, we got we got connected on uh, that that real estate forum, right? Bigger yes. pockets, right? Yes, yes. Bigger pockets. And you called, and specifically, we were talking about Dave. Do you think it's a good time to buy real estate around Sevierville after all those fires? Oh, the fires, yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Luke? It worked Was out. Is that a good call? It worked out, yeah. Yeah, Sevierville, by the way. But, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I already owned there at the time. But yes, yes, this was – you're talking back in the day now for sure. Uh, and yes, right. it, it worked out pretty well. That was a 2016 fire is what that would have been probably, which yeah. is a horrible, horrible tragedy. Which I think that's that's just – you know what that illustrates? That was so amazing, the same journey, that a lot of your listeners – have gone through and are going through. I mean, there's a lot of twists and turns as you go. And it's funny, you never know what's going to start or, oh gosh, pun intended, what's going to spark that real estate investment and the first one. And then you go from there and look at how your own personal journey has morphed. It's, yeah. I have fun being a part of those. Yeah. And, you know, I, Listen, if there's any way I can convey that to, to anybody out there is the fact that uh, it can be done. It can be done. You know, it's a very daunting, uh, you know, it's like a big giant hill to climb when you're getting into real estate and now, oh, how do I get to the next deal? And how do I get these down payments is really the hard part, you know, and uh, but it can be done. You've seen me do it. You've seen probably more people do it than just about anybody. Yeah, well, and for you guys, it was awesome because you had both a component of business development and something that I really, really love, which was what I would call lifestyle development. 
you know, raising your family. It's been such a joy yeah. just to watch that and to know that a lot of that, you know, your RV journeys, the travels, the freedom that you've given yourself to spend time with your children. That's Those are things that are more valuable than any amount of money in the world. For us, it was a boat. For you, it was an RV. Yeah, the you bought a boat. Potato. Hold on, let's talk about the boat. What is the boat? What, what kind of boat do we have? Well, we, we bought a 53-foot sailboat um, using tax-free dollars from real estate investing. And we raised our four boys on that for 10 years. You, you lived on it? We lived on it. Oh, yeah. Uh, how, how, does it, how many bathrooms does this thing have? It had two bathrooms, three bedrooms. I mean, 53 feet is a pretty big boat. Yeah, that's a big boat. But bump. anytime you got six people on it, it's still not nearly as big. And what is the difference between living in a boat and uh, living in a house, just in a nutshell? Oh, okay. This is my wife's favorite thing about it, was that when we first got married, because I'm a real estate junkie, we moved 18 times in our first 10 years of marriage because we would do live-in flips or we would stay someplace just long enough to get the primary residence exemption. And we went from Colorado to Connecticut to Florida. So I'm just this crazy fidgety junkie to get started out real quick. And she said, the best thing about this is I could let Dave move, but I never had to move the furniture. We just cast off the dock lines. Okay. Uh, so there was an, uh, an interest in boats previous to this, right? I mean, you were always into boats or it just kind of happened? No, this is kind of crazy, right? So I'm a Kansas farm boy. You know that. Yeah, yeah we're neighbors. Yeah, we, we grew up exactly. not each other. Yeah. I'm a Kansas farm boy. My wife was a Minneapolis city girl. So far, there's no ocean there, right? Yeah. We met in Denver. Still no ocean. But what happened was we had our first child. And we said, oh, my gosh, we've got to get off the rat race because we want to do nothing. You know what it's like. We just want to stare at this little bundle of joy. We threw away the TV. And so how can we generate the margin and the freedom to be able to do that? And we just cut out of the blue, like tossed a coin and said, hey, let's go buy a boat. So without any experience, without any water, we started taking sailing lessons and got hooked. Mm. And the next thing you know, we're on a 53-foot boat out of the uh, Gulf of Mexico and the Bahamas. Do you still have the boat? We do not. Mm. As the boys started to get college age, again, knowing that we wanted to spend the time with them and they were going to have less time for the boat, we decided to sell the boat. So in old sailors' talk, we swallowed the anchor. Yeah. So, but you had it for a long time then, uh, 18 something years. Yeah, we had it for, uh, well, yeah, 14, 14, 14 or 16 years. years. Lived and on you, it for 10 and a half. You were living off the Bahamas somewhere? We lived in the Florida Keys, both coasts of Florida, and spent a lot of time over the Bahamas as well. Okay. So, uh, how did school work when, when, when this is going on? Homeschool. Oh, homeschool. And the favorite day of homeschool ever, this is the kind of corporate discipline we need in America today. Everybody was grumpy. Nobody was getting their work done. So the principal, Mama Foster, said, everybody on deck. And they marched up on deck, and she pushed them all into the water <laughs> and jumped in with them. And in two minutes, everybody was happy and grinning, and the rest of school was awesome. And you were working from the boat? Uh, how do you get Wi-Fi on a boat 14 years ago? Well, you could have, you had to be very close to certain marinas, and they actually had a portable Wi-Fi. It was not great, but you could use it. But we just tried to make sure that we were in port. What we were doing at that point in time, we had 1031 exchanged into both the free cash for the boat and a fleet of vacation rentals. Okay, this will age me if the gray hair doesn't. When we started our vacation rental portfolio, yeah, I know it's coming, right? No, it's there. Is that kids or real estate? Uh, no, you know what it is? He's talking about my gray hair now. What it is, is it's always been gray, but I used to dye it, and then I had kids and stopped dyeing it. So that's what uh, happened. That's uh, what happened to me. There you and, go. Yeah. Yeah, what, um, 
Well, so when we started our fleet of vacation rentals, we were actually on the front page of VRBO. Oh. That'll tell you how long ago that was. Like the front, in other words, you don't mean when somebody searches the town. You mean when um, when you go to VRBO.com, it was right there. It was right there for that region. Yeah. Yeah. And they gave us unlimited photographs. And it was awesome. And we, you know, everything was so new in that day that it was all just being developed and tried. So we were doing video logs and how to go find the best restaurants on the water and, uh, you know, how to set things up in the house, using videos to do that. You know, all that stuff's been gone and you guys are way past that with the technology that's available today. But that's what we did is we lived, we had a manager who kept us from having to be at the properties. And then we simply were able to check in and just manage our marketing and sales. Well, where was that, uh, this particular one you're talking about right now? What town was it in? Ours were all in Cape Coral, Florida. Hmm. That's going to ring a bell to a lot of people who are in the market right now. It's, it's, go ahead. In a vacation business. Uh, and so, wait a minute. Uh, how uh, did you used to live in this thing or, or the multiple houses there? Did you live in a Well, we lived in, we lived in the boat whenever one of our houses wasn't rented because they all had pools. We just took a duffel bag and moved in for a while. Mm, nice. So we would go back and forth. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. And the other thing that we did with those was they were all on the water. They were all on canals that were direct access to the Gulf. So we would also put a powerboat in the back and we would rent the powerboat with the house. So we actually got to double dip. We made as much money in the boat business. And the boat did well, right? I, I would assume. How, how, yeah. many, how many of the guests would rent a boat? Most of them? Probably 90% of them. And it was a requirement during peak season. It's yeah. Like, you want the house, you have to take the boat. Right. We don't care if you want it or not. And so that was the, that's what it's beautiful, right? When you get to offer it, you get paid for it, and they never use it. Yes. There are certain markets where that is, you know, the the norm. Uh, and it's a, and it's a nice value add there, especially if you're on a little lake in a small town where I got a buddy that's on a lake in a small town in, um, I think he's in Virginia or South Carolina, somewhere in that area. And uh, he does the same thing. He's got a pontoon and he rents it out on the side. And he's the only, he's the only guy doing that on his lake. And, and, you know, there is obviously check with your insurance and your lawyers as far as the liability there is concerned. But it sounds like in your market, it was the norm. It was uh, like having a golf cart in Sandestin or something like that. You just have to have one. You know, surprisingly enough, the insurance fear scared so many people away that we were literally one of the few. So it became a distinctive at a point of separation. So we would get a lot of house rentals because we had the boat. Because what they were going to have to pay, you know, for a thousand bucks a month, how we, they could get the boat versus a thousand bucks a day from a rental company. Huh. So it really became a market, a point of market. And the boat's right there. They don't have to go to the, you know, that's the beauty of it. I don't have to go to the rental place and deal with all oh, that yeah. rigmarole and then come back to the house and then, uh, who, who was who was managing the boat? The management company would come and clean it up, I would assume, make sure it was clean and ready to go. Uh, they would do well. Actually, what we did is part of the insurance requirements, we had to have a license because captain, and we simply hired the captain to maintain the boats. Mm. So he did the checkouts, the check-ins, and make sure that everything was working. And then our manager managed him. So the, the captain basically just got your verbo schedule. And uh, knew when he needed to, to be working for you, and and he cleaned it up and all that stuff. Exactly. Oh, that's a cool little value add right there. Yeah. 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 It worked out real well. That's great. Yeah. So that was that was our foray into uh, vacation rental, and that's what financed that and my private 1031 clients financed ten years on a boat. Yeah. Uh, do you still have the house or any of those houses? We have none of those houses. None of the Cape Coral. Um, no, none of them. A hurricane, uh, you know, Cherokee Charlie uh, didn't help us out much at all. Oh. The Great Recession of 2008 didn't help us out either. So we sold a few of them. And uh, we decided to start over and change tactics and move classes. So yeah. I went into a development of our land. But. Uh, did you have direct damage from the hurricane or it just kind of affected the whole thing? It just affected the, the tourism industry. Yeah. 
I think I had like one nail in it. I had to put back in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not everybody was so lucky, but it does. The stigma affects everybody. Well, you probably had moved on to a different point in your life anyway, and it was time to move on to something else. Absolutely. Yeah. And then at that point, you, of course, exchange. And moved into something, what was going to be our next foray. So for us, it was land development. And uh, we're now partnering with our children because uh, they're that age. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we're now partnering with them on the start of their real estate groups by helping them to buy using their primary residence financing ability and our cash to buy small multifamily properties and get them set up so they can now start managing now. And we're doing that with our young relatives and my children. With the land development, tell me about that briefly. You're just buying a piece of dirt and then somebody comes in and develops it. Uh, or I, I really don't have any idea how that works. Oh, you know, I am ready firing. I saw a piece of land I wanted near where I grew up. I said, I got to have that. What am I going to do with it? Yeah, last I talked to you, so it was uh, duplexes. Is that, did, did that happen? It was 200 single family homes. Oh, single family. Okay. Yeah, single family homes. And we found out that there was a growing need from a town next door that was growing gangbusters, go Wildcats, and that everybody, this city, this tiny little town um, that was right next to the land, had the only available water uh, treatment plant and sewer treatment plant in the area outside of Manhattan. So we annexed into the city, accessed their municipal water and sewer, so I could greatly increase the density. And then we uh, pulled down bonds for the infrastructure and created a subdivision and started selling lots of builders. It was kind of fun. So you brought in, uh, the, how did that work? You you just sold off the, the pieces of land to different builders or the builders bought them direct? I mean, how, how does that work? Where, yeah, where the builders, 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 well, people could buy from us direct. But builders building spec homes would buy one or two lots from us at a time. And we had building standards through our homeowners association so that they had to build a certain type with a certain amount of rock on it, with a certain number of garage spaces, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then they were free to build what they want. So instead of these cookie cutter, you know, subdivisions that you'll see as you're driving up and down the freeways and everything looks the same, this is a subdivision that just every house is a little bit different. And so it really looks like something that was built to be homes for people. Now, I knew nothing about this when I started. Yeah. But I wanted to learn it. It sounded fun. So I did it. And over the course, so we finally divested it. We're getting ready to finish it up this fall. And it's taken us 15 years to go through it all. 15 years. 15 years. Is that crazy? Yeah. So you bought it and there were probably ups and downs. So 15 years is... uh... Right at 08, uh, give or take, right? Well, let me do some math. Uh, well, I actually foreclosed on it once. I sold the entire thing to a large developer from California right in 2008. Huh. It's a great story. It's a bad story for some people. So I sold it, and I carried back a small percentage. They paid me 80%. I carried back a note for 20%. They immediately lost all their money in the Great Recession and could not perform. So we spent the next two or three years for closing on it, taking it back over and getting our rights back and everything and started doing the same thing again. Well, 80% of the money is already in the bank. Fascinating. Fascinating. Let's talk about the 1031. So when in this whole story here, we get, you know, a decent overview of at least 20 years of your life. Uh, yeah. when did the 1031 thing come into play? Uh, did, did you know, were you already doing that before you lived on the boat or uh, how did that, how yeah, did that's, what, that's what got us to the boat because we were trying to do fix and flips and they were just killing us. And we had a 10 year goal and we knew that we were going to make it. So what we did was I discovered 1031 exchanges and said, Oh my gosh, this is the answer because instead of paying all this huge tax, Every time I flip a house, I can buy the house, I can fix it up, and then later I can sell it because now it's an investment and not a flip, and then we can 1031 it. 
So we began at 1031 while we were in Colorado. And occasionally, and this is one of the greatest acts that I put into my book, was we would convert an investment property into our primary residence, which meant then that we would start to eliminate the tax because we would be able to use the primary residence exemption. So we were doing a combination of 1031 exchanges, primary residence sales, and we did that from Colorado to Connecticut. We 1031 all of our rental portfolio to Connecticut. And when we moved to Connecticut, we sold our primary residence in Colorado. That money was tax-free. And we moved into one of the tax-deferred properties in Connecticut. And then once we lived in that long enough, we could sell that, and it too was tax-free. Meanwhile, we continued at 1031, and when we realized after a couple of years, Luke, that Connecticut did not have sunshine or warm water, we got out of Dodge and went to Florida. Again, 1031 our portfolio to Florida into the vacation rentals, and when we moved down there, we sold the last house in Connecticut tax-free. Every time a tax-free sale happened, that went into the buy the boat kitty. And where did we move? into one of our first vacation rentals in Cape Coral. And so that again became tax-free, whereas the others provided the cash flow. That was the start of the 1031 journey. And when we started doing that in Colorado, I was so excited that I decided to start a business with some friends doing it for others. Did you know there's actually a company that will help you find and purchase your first or next short-term rental? The Short-Term Shop is the premier short-term rental acquisition company. They have a team of realtors with tons of experience, and most of them actually own their own properties as well. They are the best in the business and would be happy to help you with your next purchase. You can find them at theshorttermshop.com. Brokered by eXp. Theshorttermshop.com. So in other words, uh, would you say that uh, you're the kind of guy that, uh, did you get obsessed? Did you just basically just uh, dive so deep into the 1031 to learn every single thing there was about it that you became an expert? Is that, that's what I uh, am picturing here. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what it was. I actually got my accounting degree specifically to specialize in it way back then. And my obsession is with not paying taxes. <laughs> I think somewhere along the road, I saw a factoid that said that we spend the first like five and a half months of our income every year paying taxes to the government. That just ticked me off. I mean, I like roads. I like hospitals. You know, I like all those things, but enough is enough. So any opportunity that I can get to legally lower my tax bill, I'm going to jump at. Yeah, I love it. So um, at the time, did you find there was, a, you know, not a lot of guys uh, that could help with the 1031? Was it not as common? Yeah, there was a huge lawsuit that was settled in 1996, 97, where the federal government lost a 20-year case. The IRS lost. Now, you think they're grumpy when they're having their way with you? Imagine how grumpy they are when they've lost a big court case. So they had to let people do 1031 exchanges. Regular people like you and me were not going to be able to do them. But they didn't have to make it easy, and they didn't have to market it, so they didn't. So in the early days, we went to a we took a, the, the company to a dinner, theater one night, and they were asking all the groups there, you know, what's your business? What do you guys do? And our senior partner looked at him and said, if we told you, we'd have to kill you. Nobody knew what a qualified intermediary was. And yeah, now since then, obviously, it's become a much, much larger thing. But in those days, the first year that it was recorded, I think 1996, there were like 70,000 exchanges done. Now, that's out of millions of transactions, right? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's, so let's, let's revisit that now. Yeah, you, I, we, people like statistics, so... Uh, 1996, we had how many transactions recorded? Like 70,000. 70,000. Okay, go ahead. The peak just making a note there. I won't, I won't hold it to you. I'm just making a note. Uh, go ahead. 2005, 
there were over 550,000. Okay. So that's how quickly it grew in those nine years. 550,000. That is, I mean, you went from nothing to a decent amount there. Did you know what it was in 2008? Go ahead. 80,000. And that is because there was nothing to exchange? Exactly. There was nothing to exchange. Everybody lost their shorts. There was nothing going on in the market. And then subsequently since that time, just imagine what has had to happen to bring us to here. Two-thirds of the realtors who had their licenses in 2008 are gone. So we lost two-thirds of the realtors. We lost the majority of the investors. And so all of a sudden, there's this huge education need. Because, again, everybody has forgotten about the power of the 1031. Wait a minute. Hold on. Uh, When did you start doing 1031s full-time in this? uh, I'm writing down a timeline here. uh, 2000. 2000. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So we just decided to make it a niche ours of education. Yeah. You know, you, it's like Steve Jobs said, you know, you can't, people don't know what they need or want to do, you show it to them. So if nobody knows that there's the power and this tool that you can use to sell investment property and get to use the tax to buy more property instead of having to pay the tax, they're never going to use it. So we just, we've said about, we've been trying to be the education company. That teaches people. Um, this, uh, <laughs> uh, so you're old school. In other words, I mean, we're talking 25 years now. Uh, wh- when did Bigger Pockets? Thank you off? for that. Yeah, thank you for that, Luke. Uh, well, you know, in a good way. In a good way, because in this business, you see so many noobs all the time. You got a new term, and there's a new term now. Have you heard the new term? New. Oh my gosh. New The there's same new- thing. Yeah, we had the same thing 40 years ago, just new- with a different name. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, probably. Right. So uh, you have a different perspective when, when there's so many folks in, in the business, including myself. Well, sort of. I'll tell my story a little bit. I when I first started buying, I didn't know what bigger pockets was. It was in its infancy uh, and I had never heard of rich dad. So I I I, super, I superseded the two big ones uh, by accident. Now, obviously, rich dad had been around for, for quite I mean, when did that come out in the mid 90s or something? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And so uh, that was before my time, but uh, I hadn't discovered bigger pockets when I first started buying. But I think today, almost everybody, inevitably, their journey is going to begin, I, I would assume, with bigger pockets because they're so influential and they're huge, you know. So uh, I guess you saw them come around. What was that like for you to already be basically educating people? And then all of a sudden, these guys came out of nowhere, or how, how did that go down? Or what? Or was maybe it wasn't even on your radar? I don't know. Well, actually, no, we found it as we were looking for different ways to reinvigorate. As the market turned and started to accelerate again in the early 2010-ishes, we wanted to look and say, where are the investors? Where can we find it? Do you remember the Farsight cartoons? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Right. One of my favorite ones is a is a picture of two leopards sitting up on a hill over a small watering hole where there's wildebeest and little animals and deer is coming down to drink. And the leopards each have um, tablecloths tied around their necks. And the caption was, watering holes of the Serengeti. Obviously, it was like, that's where they go to feed. You have to find the watering holes of the Serengeti in order to gather market share. Find where the investors are. Yeah, and that's how we found bigger pockets was looking at where we thought the future was going, and so early on, I just started blogging, started answering questions, started writing articles, started talking to Luke Carl, uh, <laughs> and there you go. Yeah, uh, blogs. I had a blog back in the day; they were a huge deal, and uh, I don't hear about them too much anymore. It's a great, it's a crazy evolution. Uh, this, uh, this. Uh, marketing, I guess, for lack of a better way to, to put yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know where the marketing is going to go. What's interesting is that the real estate itself as a business is incredibly cyclical and very predictable in terms of where the cycle is going. You just don't know when. Hmm. And so all of these things that come around and then go around will come around again. And that's the beauty is how you can Unfortunately, I am old enough that I've been through a couple of them. 
And so how we can communicate, how to develop the tool that we use, the 1031, so that it's available to you wherever you're at in your stage of life. Well, no, goes so, around, comes around, it goes around. So, so we're on the subject, and again, I'm not looking for you to give me the future or crystal ball, but you know where I'm going with this. But I'm going to give a couple more caveats here. So uh, this is a guy that's been through this a million times. Nobody has any idea what's going to happen. Uh, do you have any, I guess, opinions on, uh, you know, just – what and I'll throw, how about I throw you one or two? First of all, the stock market is through the roof. Like, what the hell's going on there? And again, we're recording this in uh, late July, uh, 2023. So who yeah, knows? it could be back down by yeah, it could be yeah, off. who knows? But uh, as of today, the day that we're recording this, the stock market is like the high. I think it's literally the highest it's ever been. Uh, now that came out of nowhere because it was you know very up and down for a long time, and, and it was quite a bit down for a while there. But as of today. Uh, and then, you know, unemployment's very low, but at the same time, these insurance rates are like, I mean, just they're offensive, these insurance rates. And I'm not saying it started in Florida. Cause you know, we're both Florida people. I live in Florida. Same thing happened to me. I never even heard of Florida, but I met a woman, had some kids and then we moved to Florida uh, <laughs> uh, uh, from Nebraska. You and I grew up about, I, I Googled it where we grew up about two and a half hours from each other. I was going to say, yeah, it's real close. Yeah. Not far at all. I'm from South of uh, Omaha and you're from uh, Manhattan, Kansas uh, with a K state K state. I'm a corn husker. Uh, so we've got that bond. You know, I've never met, uh, I, I, I always bond much more with Midwestern, you know, real deal Midwestern folks like your wife and I, I think we would probably get on just fine because I consider Minnesota to be very Midwestern and, uh, I got another buddy of mine that's from uh, Minneapolis, and we, you know, he, and another buddy from Iowa. It seems like the closest people to me are Midwesterners, other than the wife and the family. You know, that's a whole other story. But uh, uh, I, I'm off on a tangent there. But um, you know, it's like, oh, the insurance is where I was going with this. What is this insurance? I feel like Jerry Seinfeld over here, but it's like, what is the deal with this insurance? It's out of control. It started in Florida. That was my point. And now it's spreading. I've got a lot of deal. I've got a real a lot of real estate in Alabama and it's spread to Alabama. Now, luckily, most of my Tennessee stuff is, uh, you know, they're kind of staying away from Tennessee, the insurance folks, at least for now. So I don't know where that's going. Now, it's almost like insurance is shot to the top of my list every day. You know, for a while there, it was uh, interest rates. Now we're kind of used to that. And now- right. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, oh, my God, they're 8% overnight. But now they're just 8% or 9 whatever, 7 9 whatever it is. But now this insurance is out of nowhere kicking my ass, you know. So, anyway, I don't know what to make of it. But uh, what, what, do you, what do you see as a guy that's uh, had a lot of longevity here? Well, you know, all of those things are kind of like components that go into your bottom line. And you start to put those together, and that's where you're going to see what's going to happen to investors. Because if I'm asking to pay X number of dollars more every month to satisfy a high interest mortgage, I've got to be choosier on the properties that, are going to, that I'm going to be able to make money on. Or I'm going to be purchasing fewer and things are going to stagnate. Or what we've really seen is that rents are going to go up. Mm -hmm. Rents go up. And the very next thing, we have people who are screaming that they can't afford to live. And this is where I kind of see the next iteration. And I think the hedge funds are showing me that it's coming sooner rather than later, is that the federal government loves to step in and try to fix problems, especially when it means votes for them. So when people cannot afford to live and they're having to rent, rents are going up, what better way to help them and get votes at the same time by doing home buying um, premiums and incentives for first-time home purchasers? Those have all been always been around, but different programs continue to come out. So we're seeing a lot of the bigger players out there now buying single-family homes because they're having trouble buying multi-families to make money work. We're seeing a huge crash in office buildings. We're seeing commercial cap rates compressed where they're not making sense. So where are you going to go? Go where you think the market is going to recover first. 
And so single family homes, I think, are a real good bet because the government's not going to leave people out on the streets. We know that. I'm with you on this insurance thing. I live in a house that's 200 yards from the water. It was built in 1960. It's never flooded. My insurance goes up every year because of flooding danger. Mm-hmm. Come on. Yeah. And But guess what? Cincinnati, Ohio has to pay for some of my flood insurance. And Omaha, Nebraska is paying for some of your flood insurance. That's what's happening. They're spinning it off so that they can get more, charge more. Yeah. And that's all it is. They're, they're yeah. trying to bounce out by making everybody. You're right. You're right. Somebody once said, Omaha, Dave, never I, own real, I own real estate in Omaha. Guess what's happened? My insurance is gone. Yeah. Why? It's the most vanilla place on the planet. Well, there's, Dave, there's tornadoes. There's tor- We might have a tornado. Uh, I'm like, come uh, on. Uh, give me a... But you're right. It's because they're offsetting it in Florida, et cetera. So anyway, go ahead. Well, somebody once said to me, never bet against banks and insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Always invest with banks and insurance companies. They're not going to lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're blowing my mind with that. See, here's here's my thing. The insurance going up, and I just had a conversation, and it's mostly for me, it's not so much on my short terms. It's Well, unless they're in Florida, uh, but it's uh, it's my single family long-term rentals. Uh, they're going up, uh, and uh, and it's going back. It's there's only one thing that can happen, is that the rents have to go up. I I mean I can't be sitting here holding the bag, losing money, to give these people a nice place to live. I want to provide you an amazing place to live, but it can't cost me money. This is not a charity, you know. So at the end of the day, the rents got to go up. And and but here's what I will say is that the damn uh, again just to play play the whole thing here. I, okay, perfect example. I'm leaving. Um, I'm driving down the road the other day, and I see, uh, drove by Five Guys, which, uh, man, they make a damn good burger. Uh, I didn't go in. I didn't go in, but I happened to see that it was a sign caught my eye. Start, uh, uh, now hiring starting at $19 an hour. And I'm oh, sitting there. Wow. I know. Isn't that crazy? And so, you know, when I was a kid, you know, you never dream of something like that. But if you do the math, let's do the math on that real quick. I'm going to pull up my calculator. So 19 times 40 times four. It's a little over three grand. And they say that, you know, your rent should be what? A, three, a third, uh, give or take, of your uh, of your income. So if you're working at five guys, according to these random, and again, somebody out there is killing me saying, you, you should only be paying an eighth of your uh, income for your rent or whatever it is, you know. But I always, when I lived in New York City, everybody always said one third, one eighth of, uh, one third of your, uh, your, your rent, your, your income should go to rent. Of course, that's New York City. But, but let, let's say that that math does apply, which it probably doesn't. And everybody's going to crap all over me, but that's fine. Uh, at $3,000 a month working at five guys, uh, which is anybody, you know, anybody that has an alarm clock and four tires on their car could have that job. Um, and uh, they're making $3,000 a month. That means that hypothetically, theoretically, whatever, they could afford a place for $1,000 a month. And that's a pretty nice place to live even today in average Joe America, you know, uh, Kentucky, wherever it is. Um, a thousand bucks a month can get you a pretty nice place. So, um, yeah, you know, I don't know. Uh, hold on. I'm going to wrap this, uh, this story up with, with this, and then I'll turn it back over. How much of it is, I think this, and again, I am not a political, I don't want to get into politics. I'm really not even a current affairs. I don't watch, you know, much news because it makes me nuts, but I do try to pay attention, especially to the, to the economy in general. They printed trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. And I really think what's going on here in the grand scheme of things is a bunch of sticker shock and everybody's just kind of catching up. Oh my God, that Subway sandwich is never going to be $5 again. And it happens so fast. It's just a big shock to the system and it's taken us a while to catch up. Anyway, that's what I think. Uh, go ahead. I cut you off. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say that it's all about equilibrium and all things, right? There has to be there's an equilibrium and a balance between wages, housing, rents, ownership, and that's always going to find its way. I'm a free market uh, economist of fixing that auto, and I really believe that if you leave things alone, they tend to balance out over time. 
But what the real estate investor looks for are those places where there is no balance. And that's where opportunity exists, where there's a deficit of a certain type of product that's wanted, or where there is a need, or where there's something that is causing prices or to decrease or revenue to increase. And those kinds of signals are very consistent and have been for a hundred years. They just are what goes through very cyclically. You kind of have to find them. We're seeing like one thing that they're not making right is more beachfront. So what's a great bet for for how many years now? People, you the short-term crazies, you guys have been marching in and buying all the beachfront you can. Yeah. Because why? Everybody's going to want to go on vacation. Do you know what happens when there's an economic crash to vacations? They stop going to Europe and they start going to Destin. Mm -hmm. It's not going to stop. Yeah. It is what it is. But at some point in time, the price of entry to get into those kind of properties is going to cause your bottom line to not make as much sense. Now, maybe you've got the cash to back it up. Maybe you're content with a lower return. Or maybe what? You have to sell to be able to pay your mortgage because you can't pay your mortgage. And when you have to sell, there's going to be people waiting to buy it at a lower price. And if they buy it at a lower price, well, gosh, Luke, all of a sudden they can make the bottom line work. It's just how the cycle of life mm. happens. And the art or the magic or the voodoo is figuring out where you're at and right now. For me, I try to not look so much at where we are. I try to get people to identify that for themselves. But then what I want to do is let them help them to use the tools of the 1031 exchange so that they can move into different classes of real estate in different locations, in different scenarios that are going to allow them to maximize not only the return on their purchasing power, but also on the deferred tax. That's who we are. Well, you got the dream team here. If you, so if you've got a piece of property that's not making you enough money, you call Dave and you exchange it into something with Avery and everybody wins. You know what I mean? So, How many times has that happened? Right, it's happened a lot of times. And then the wife gets to go on vacation. The husband gets to go on vacation. Everybody goes on vacation in the same damn house. and it's You do the dishes in the RV, don't you? Uh, what, what's a dish? No, uh, there's no. Ah. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Yeah. We could not eat out on the boat. Where are you going to eat out in the middle of the ocean, right? That's true, yeah. So she cooked that clean. It was a good arrangement. There you go. I love it. Uh, uh, okay, hold on. Now, we should have got into this before before the long stories, but the stories are, the stories are why I'm here. Uh, give, me a, give me a quick rundown. Uh, I guess, you know, just a speech you've probably given uh, 10,000 times here uh, because that it is what it takes to become an expert is the 10,000 hours, of course. And uh, uh, let's say I've never even heard of a 1031 or I'm brand new, uh, fairly new. Maybe I own a property or two. Give me a quick, uh, you know, uh, rundown of, of what it is and how it works. Sure. If you've got a piece of property that is either appreciated greatly, so it's worth more now, or you've had it long enough that it has been depreciated a great deal. Depreciation is something people ignore, but that's a big deal because that is a tax benefit to you every year. But you get a limited amount of time. So if your property either has been depreciated a lot or it's appreciated a lot, where when you sell it, you would have a profit. You can sell that property and by doing what's called the 1031 exchange, you get to go buy new property of any type, anywhere in the country, of at least equal or greater value. could be any number of properties as well. And by following the 1031 process, you get to indefinitely defer paying the tax that you normally would have had to. We want to put that into real terms. We've got an example that we use for our people where we create a spreadsheet. Four transactions. They start with a property that they sold with a $100,000 gain. Modest gain, be like $20,000 in tax. One investor doesn't do a 10 exchange, pays the 20 grand in tax. 
the other investor uses that 20,000 to go buy more real estate. So the first investor, if they're gonna put 20% down, has $400,000, or I'm sorry, can't can buy $400,000 with that. They sell a $300,000 property by the time we get that tax. The other investor, because they're taking the extra $20,000, can buy an extra $100,000 of property. That's it. Five years later, if they sell that property at the same rate of appreciation, the investor that does the tip through exchange now has about $300,000 more property than the other one. After the second, the third transaction in 10 years, it's a million dollars more. And in 20 years with only four transactions, the investor doing the 1031 exchange owns property worth $12.5 million. And the investor that paid the taxes they went owns property worth about four and a half million. That's the power that you getting to use that deferred tax has for your portfolio. And it's like we say, it's indefinite. I see those wheels turning. <laughs> Yeah, uh, because you know you you know where I was going to go with that. I'm gonna, I'm actually going to curveball it though. Uh, is this this is the biggest? Is this the biggest difference between other types of investments in real estate? Is the exchange is because if I want to if I go make a bunch of money in the stock market, there's an unavoidable tax. There's no way you know exactly gonna, right. Like are you? Or you could dump it back into more taxes. I actually don't even know how all that works. I'm a I'm a real estate full time guy, but that is the difference. If I want to uh, continue this process uh, and not pay the man, um, then I, is real estate the only place I can find that? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, there are some tax deferred bonds and that kind of stuff that are those are very deep voodoo into the weeds of investing. But in general, that's exactly right. Those people that want to make money will turn to entrepreneurship, which means you're going to be building something, making something, creating something, you're paying taxes. Mm -hmm. Those people that are working the W-2 job for the man, you're paying taxes. Mm -hmm. Those people that are buying and selling stocks, you're paying taxes. Real estate is really the only place where you can get the tax deferral of the 1031 and the tax-free of the primary residence exemption. Let's go all the way back to the five guys guy for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this is huge. By the way, I, re I read something was a, I don't know, it was a Reddit thing or a MSN, I don't know where I saw it. One of those memes that just are designed to make you mad where someone was complaining, can you believe it? It takes two or three of us as 20 year olds to be able to afford to rent. We have to have roommates. Yeah. Luke, was there ever a time when you didn't have a roommate? No, no not until I was married Me to her. Either. <laughs> it's just life. Yeah. We're like, oh my gosh, we do have a bit of entitlement going here, right? Okay, but here's the deal. If you can scrape together, and this is where the government excels at giving you low entry point opportunities to buy a house to live in, if all you do is move in that house and live in it for two years. You can sell it after that, and you get the first $250,000 of profit tax-free. Now, often you can do that once every two years. Come on, all America has to do is buy a house and live in it and sell it and go move into another one, and your profits are gonna be tax-free. Hmm. Why would you ever want to be a renter? Right. But you're absolutely right. Don't say that to don't tell that to my runners. Um, well, there is that, but they've got to live someplace while they're yeah. building that that equity. Hey, man, my that, houses that are nice. Thing. My houses are nice. I got I've got granite. You know, even just in a modest, regular old house, I've got nice. You know, nice floors. I, I take care of these folks. I want to give them a nice place to live. And I, and I think that's that's important. That's important. Um, tell me about your book. The book, uh, it's called Lifetime Tax-Free Wealth, A Real Estate Investor's Guide to the 1031 Exchange. When I started writing a Luke, I thought it was going to be this boring account speak kind of how-to book 
you know, like so much, like happens on the podcast all the time. Tell us how to do these. So I thought I was kind of writing a manual on it. When I looked at it at the end, what I really wrote was a roadmap on how to reach your dreams using the 1031. Yeah. It's about achieving your dreams more than it is about the nuts and bolts. So it's very strategic and focused. And it could be applied in many ways. I mean, the 1031, if your dream, you know, for you guys, it's the RV and it's tested and it's whatever else you got going on. Uh, just wait till private school rears its ugly head. Oh, it's already happening. It's yeah. coming, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how you can achieve all of these things that are dreams of ours, but do them in your real estate career by doing the 1031 exchange. Have I ever talked to you about the, the, the four D's of 1031 investing? No, but I want to hear it. Okay, so this is in the book. It's it's a huge section in the book because I really firmly believe, well, deferred um, compounding interest works. Why? Because you get to keep putting money in and then you get to make the money off of that and then you make the money off the money that you made by deferring the tax and then you make the money that you made off the money that you made and that's how the compounding works. So the key to compounding deferred tax or interest on stock purchases or whatever is to keep it going as long as you can. And that's why the Tithero Exchange allows you to do it throughout what I call the entire life cycle of a real estate investor to accommodate the four Ds. Here's the test. Luke Carl, you thought you were done with these. No. There are four Ds. That relate to 1031 investing. I'll give you the okay. first one. All right. The first one is defer. Because anytime you defer by doing a 1031 exchange, you get to continue using the compounding of that deferred tax. What do you think the second D is? I don't know. Defer. Defer. <laughs> because you can use the 1031 exchange to sell any type of real estate to invest in any other type of real estate. So as the average investor goes through life, they generally start maybe modest with a single family home or a duplex. And then it becomes two of those. Then it becomes four of those. And then all of a sudden they say, I'd like a, uh, I'd like a vacation rental in Gatlinburg. So they sell those and they tend to want to that. And then they might say, you know what? It's time for me to go into commercial. It's time for me to move my portfolio from California. Hi, Julie, from California to Tennessee, right? The 1031 exchange can accommodate any type of real estate anywhere. So as you go through life and your needs change, you're using the 1031. Why? Because that's keeping the compounding going. All right, Luke, heat's on. What's the third D? Uh, Defer. <laughs> da -da, da -da, da -da, da -da, da. Yes, exactly. Because as you go through life, you're also going to find these types of needs. You want to move from an opportunity where it's appreciated and the boom is over. You want to be able to find the next gold strike where it's going to be, but hasn't. How many multi multi-millionaires do we have? Because they took their portfolio out of San Francisco. And moved it where? They followed Elon to Austin. Well, Austin's a pretty high ticket to get into now. So where are we going to go? Maybe it's Kansas City. Maybe it's Cape Coral, Florida. Finding the markets that are not yet, but soon will be. So that you can take advantage of those inequities in the market. The other thing that happens to us as we're going through our life cycle is that we start to get, shall I say, older, and we start not enjoying those active types of things that we used to. It didn't used to bug me answering tenant calls and going over and fixing toilets and putting up drywall and all of that. As I get older, although I do still enjoy a good demo project, I leave them putting it back together for others. I'm starting to move from active to passive. For you guys, and I love how you've done it, 
it's through systems. So you're doing the same properties, but you've systemized the sucks so that you're doing less and less. For other people, it's simply it's the same thing, or it's investing in classes that are more passive. Larger multifamilies with on-site management, vacation rentals where you can take advantage of the systems. Commercial properties that are triple net leases where the tenant takes care of everything. All of that starts to let me enjoy a life which I've worked hard to earn. And so it also lets me start to position myself for retirement by converting properties. I've got a real estate agent of St. Pete Beach whose retirement plan was he 1031 into three identical condos beachfront on St. Pete Beach. He converted the first one into his primary residence. Once he owned it for five years, he had lived in it for three years. He rented it for two, lived in it for three. Then when he sold it, he got to take 60% of all of that deferred tax, tax-free. Now, if your choices are going to work, delivering pizzas for Domino's as a part-time retirement job, or sitting on your back deck, drinking coffee, looking at the surf, waiting for five years to pass, what are you going to choose? That's a pretty good retirement gig to actually eliminate some of that tax. Where do you think he moved when he sold that? Next door <laughs> to the next one. Yeah. And that's his retirement plan. You guys will be able to do the same thing if you want. At some point in time, you might move into one of your properties and test it. You'll live in it long enough. You'll take a proration of that game tax-free. Go move into another of your vacation properties. I can think of a lot of worse ways to spend a life, right? All right, hold on. I got one for you. I live in a house uh, that I would like to – I own a, a piece of dirt next door. I want to build there. Is there any way to tax, uh, you know, I mean, what's my best option? I mean, move a tenant into the one I'm living in, I guess, or what – uh, is there, cause if I sell it, uh, it's worth, you know, three times what I paid. So then the 500 grand thing is out the window, right? So is there a tax advantage uh, to that scenario? Just for purely selfish reasons? Is the property that you live in, did it start as a rental? No, it started as a primary. Okay, good. Cause you want to keep that because when you sell that, you get the full 500,000 tax free. Now, is there more? This might be too personal a question, but is there more than five hundred thousand? Yes, tax free. Okay, good. Here's what you're going to do: then. you're going to move out of that property, go build your new build next door. Okay. Yeah. Move into it. Yeah. Now that's starting out life as a primary. Right. When you move into it, the property that you're living in now, start renting out to some people. Right. Right. Do that for a year. One year. And then and then sell it. Right. When you sell it, did you live in it for two out of the previous five years? Yes. Yep. So you get the 500000 tax free. But when you sold it, it was an investment property. So you're going to do a 1031 exchange on the rest. Oh, on the rest. And go buy something else. So voila, you get tax free money and the rest is tax deferred. Meanwhile, what's happening next door where you're living? You're working on your two out of five in that one. Yeah. Well, see, I was concerned that I'd have to exchange the whole thing, and then I've got to go out and find a big giant, you know, I mean, then we'd be looking at a lar very large, probably something bigger than I'd even want to deal with. Uh, but that's cool that the, the 500 goes back yeah. into play there. See, this is why you need Dave Foster on your team. Let me ask you another one. When I <laughs> die... And the kids get the properies. Uh, what happens uh, in, in the, to the well, taxes then? Let's, yeah, let's go hold back on, to first. On. Let me take it one step we further. We got to talk about the 4th D. Oh, the 4th D. Yeah, okay. Which, what do you think it is? Um, I, listen, I, I, I don't know if I've ever done this well on a test. I think it's probably defer. Well, you got 75% at least. Oh, so no, appreciate. It's not. <laughs> okay, what is it? Die. Which is exactly where you were going. Oh, yeah. yeah so I had it in it. You were going right there. Uh, okay. You know, it's not it's not my favorite either, but we're all heading there. But yeah, what does happen, and this is why it's so critical, is that when you die, your assets, real estate assets, will go to your heirs at what is called a step-up in basis. So they get the property, 
as if they paid market value for it on the day you died. So that one that you're living in now, if you happen to stay there until you die, your kids will get it and there would be no tax due. You don't have to pay it. Your estate doesn't have to pay it. They don't have to pay it. It's truly wiped clean. Now, that's an incredible legacy to give, isn't it? So all your life, you're deferring tax, and you're making the money off that deferred tax. And when you die, the tax bill disappears. Come unless, on. Unless they someday sell it for more than what it was worth when I died. Is that true? That's correct. But they'll only pay the tax on that additional. On the, on so, the appreciation. That's exactly right. I actually have a client in Connecticut who is in their third generation of this. Hmm. We started doing exchanges for grandma way early in the 2000s. And when he passed away, the portfolio went to his son. A few years later, we started doing exchanges for the son because they had appreciated and he now needed to do them. The father died a few years ago, and it's now his children, the grandchildren of the original investor who are just about ready to start doing their 1031 exchanges. That's three generations. You know how much tax? Yeah. And you got to do it. You got to do it because, uh, I mean, for me, that's what it's all about. You know, uh, I, I, I heard or read or something that uh, to be a real badass, you need to provide for the next two generations. And if I'm giving all that money up to the tax man, this is pretty hard to do. So real estate. Well, they, what do they, they say that smart skips a generation? Is that what it is? Or brains, uh, brains skip a generation? Or three in my, my family. But yeah. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I told my sons to give up hope because. Because <laughs> you got it all. <laughs> they're getting me. It's like, ah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. The, uh, the politician plants a tree. You know, eats the fruit, estates, plants a tree. You know, that a, a person can eat fish for a day. You teach them to fish the fish for life. It's all saying the same thing. And that is that when we're looking out for others and not just ourselves, we're better off mm. and we're providing. I think that Gary uh, and Dave's just personal take on this, but I think the pandemic. I think the corrosive political environment that's out there, I think the fracturing of family relationships that we're seeing have all contributed to a situation, uh, an environment where we have done a disservice to the next generation coming in. We haven't taught them. We haven't prepared them. And I think it's time to start. I think it's time for people to step up and start teaching others and start preparing others. Provide great, just like you do, provide great houses for people to live in. Help them to grow to their next potential. And, wow, I don't know, I just started waxing eloquent. But I really believe that. I think helping others is the, the answer for whatever's wrong. I agree. I agree. Um, uh, how are we doing on college football? Um, uh, you guys were, what, 10 and 4 last season. Uh, I'm a Cornhusker, and uh, traditionally we are really good, and we've been terrible. Are you looking forward to the season? Do you care? We took your quarterback last year. I know. Yeah. And, and then we didn't even need him. I was happy to give him to you, to be honest. And uh, <laughs> it didn't really work out for either one of us. <laughs> you know what? Hey, it's not just 10 and 4. They took. Of conference championships. That's you. We've gone from the hunter to the hunted. Yep. Yep. Well, uh, anything's better than my Cornhuskers, and we hope to turn that around at some point. But I'm looking forward to the fo college football season. Uh, it'll be here before you know it. But uh, uh, tell me the name of the book again, and how do I find you? Lifetime Tax Free Wealth, a real estate investor, the real estate investor's guide to the 1031 exchange. You can find it on Amazon, all the usual places. And you can find us at the1031investor.com. Do you have a book that you've been personally reading recently that you'd like to recommend? You know, I am, I'm such a nerd. I am restarting for like the 58th time, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Ah, yeah, you and Avery. Yeah. And I'm just finishing up the summer. Yeah, 
Tolkien is, I think, one of the best writers ever in the history of man. All right, Lord of the Rings is the is the book of the week, and uh, and Dave, listen, you're the greatest. Uh, I, it's just there's so many grumpy people out there, uh, and people just that, uh, and I've I've been guilty of that in the past. I've done many many uh, strides in my life to to try and make myself a little easier to be around, um, and, but uh, you just always have been a pleasure and. That goes a long way. You know, it really does. Uh, when, when you're doing business, when you're doing business, when you walk away from somebody saying, you know, man, that guy really helped me out and he was super nice. It goes so much further than being a jerk, which it seems like that is more common to be a jerk than not. Uh, so anyway, uh, you, you've, uh, you've opened my eyes to, uh, to try and have a sign right here. that says, don't be a dick. And, uh, and you, you've never been that. And I appreciate that. Uh, but anyway, uh, you're talking to you're just not talking to the right people. Yeah, maybe if you can see that this was given to me by my staff. <laughs> Tears of my staff. There you go. It's still warm. Still warm. Okay. Okay. Nice. Uh, okay. <laughs> Love it. Love it on his coffee mug. Okay. Well, listen, man. Always a pleasure. Uh, let's catch up again soon. And uh, for on behalf of Dave Foster, 1031 investor and short-term rental management, uh, don't overthink it.